Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 54 of The Great Divide. We're back quick, more quickly than usual this time with what's going to be our deep dive of the Buffalo Skinners. And say hello to Svein Hjorthog from Norway. Hello, Svein. Hey, Tom. How you doing? I'm pretty good. This is a difficult album, so uh, I don't know how I feel about this. I'm kind of a little bit more apprehensive than normal, I think. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I, I'm i not really apprehensive about this one, but I, I'm, I'm excited, I guess, kind of. But uh, yeah, I, I think the one hard thing about it is, as we've seen, ranking these songs... And I think this is yeah. another one of those albums that's just it's just really hard to rank these songs because they're all so close in quality, at least at least in my estimation. And, and I, I'm assuming probably yours, too. Yeah, yeah so. absolutely. It's uh, it doesn't make sense to some degree. I don't have a favorite song on this album. I can say that I have three songs that I like more than probably the rest. Uh-huh. And I <laughs> I struggle. I, even earlier today, I gave them a listen again. And at that point, I said, OK, today this is what it is so i'm gonna go with this but uh i i still don't know if i can say i have one favorite song um and like four to eleven are all really close and number 12 is probably number 12 but uh <laughs> yeah it, we'll see how it pans out oh that's interesting that you bring that up because i i didn't go so far as to say that i don't have a favorite song but when i was trying to rank them i realized that the one i picked as number one was not one that just stood head and shoulders above the others. It, it was just, uh, it, and it probably could even possibly change with a couple others as as we've had in past albums. But yeah, yeah, it, it's hard to pick a, a number one for this. Really, it is it, just the whole package is just so. Uh, it, it's just one of those albums that you take the whole thing as yeah. as one big package. But it uh, is. But it should be interesting. And, and we had a we had a great. Um, roundtable discussion on the last episode it was long but we want to thank everybody who was involved in that jason tim uh kara and um what did you think of that that was that was a pretty interesting discussion these roundtables always turn out better than i think they will uh, uh, let's just say it you're the one who want them and i'm kind of the one who goes along with it yeah you're always a little hesitant when I <laughs> yeah that. are you sure you want another roundtable <laughs> i mean there are there are topics i think would be great i mean if we ever tackle live aid and uh, what ifs that could have been a cool round table mm. if you ever talk about restless natives the movie i think that could be a great round table but album round tables for some reason uh part of it because they they can if we're not careful bleed into the deep dive yeah yeah uh so that's one thing i always keep in mind but uh, man if you have the right people time just flies and i think that the length of the episode speaks for itself yeah it really does we didn't want to put out a two and a half hour episode but Nobody's complained, so I guess that's a good thing. Um, sometimes we just can't help it. We put out these gigantic uh, mammoth episodes, but uh, we've had, we've we've had some great guests on the le- the two roundtables we've done. CJ was awesome, Arlen, uh, Kenny, and now we've got three more. And uh, who knows? Maybe we'll have three more on the next one. We like mixing it up a little bit, but uh, mm. we'll probably have all those people possibly back at some point. Who knows? But uh, yeah, I thought it was fun too, and it it kind of set the stage for the big thing that we're going to be doing today and pretty much jumping right into the songs. But before we do that, you, you want to talk about kind of the, the feedback we got on our Facebook page, ranking these songs from, from our members. So talk yeah, about man. that. We complain about ranking them, but uh, people have jumped on that like nobody's business. So I posted a question on the Facebook group saying, what is your ranking of this album? One through 12 going with the original uh, track list. And those are original 12 songs. And so far, and there might be more, rankings coming but 
that's not in time for, for this, I'm afraid. So we're going with 49 contributions that I've tallied each and every vote, put them in a spreadsheet, done my number crunching, and uh, we have the results here. So yeah. after each song, Tom and I will reveal our rankings. We're also going to reveal the rankings of the 49 people who gave their feedback and what that turned out. What is number one? What is number 12? And uh, in many ways, that's the real ranking because 49 people is a pretty decent representation. So yeah, th that's that's pretty good. Uh, awesome. A lot of work for me, but I, I happily did it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Very you happily. Kind of, you love that kind of work. And do you have the results ah. in a fireproof box? No. Okay. No. <laughs> I I have it backed up and encrypt, encrypted. I don't have to do. Now, so so we'll do that, and also just discussing the album because you also had a thread with what's your memories of the album? How do you feel about it? And we have a ton of feedback, and we even uh, got yeah. some speak pipes this time that will uh, sprinkle throughout this episode. So we have a lot of uh, feedback and uh, and comments and participation from the audience as always, and that's the greatest uh, motivation for me. So thank yeah. you all. Yeah, definitely. And we, we do have a lot of speak pipes for this episode, so you'll be hearing them. And uh, just a reminder, if you send us a speak pipe, do us a favor and let us know who you are at the beginning. I mean, we know, obviously, but um, since we don't always introduce these on the show, we just drop them in. It helps to have like a little introduction. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the only person that did not introduce themselves is Lance Egan. Correct. So, okay. So if you hear a speak pipe in any of these deep dives, whether it's this one, the next one, or if there's even another one, and and it's not introduced... That's Lance Egan. So thank you, Lance. <laughs> yeah. We appreciate it. It was also very memorable because he told the story of uh, bailing school for the day to, to go and pick up the album. And he was not the student. He was the teacher. <laughs> That's right. Well, you know what? Since we've already talked about it, why don't we play it right now and come back? Let's do it. As an American fan, I clearly remember when they tour the United States in support of Buffalo Skinners. Um, I remember ditching school and driving five hours to go see a concert up in San Jose, California. And, and I'm the teacher, not a student. Um, I think Buffalo Skinners was the apex of their career in, in terms of songwriting, in terms of a studio album, and in terms of live play as well. Um, yeah, they strayed from their stigma bagpipe sound, but they retained enough of their big country essence uh, to still be the same band, um, obviously with a harder edge to the album. Um, I think it ranks up there for me in one of the very few perfect albums out there. Um, not a bad song on the entire album, including all the B-sides as well, which, I mean, they could have made the album just as well. Um, if I had to pick a favorite, though, I think I'd go with All Go Together, uh, but I do think it's about three choruses too long. Um, I actually made a cereal box, believe it or not, based on uh, Pink Marshmallow Moons and used the, the design theme from the album. Um, it's a long story, but I'm a graphic design teacher, and, and we do this with my students. I did one as well. Um, Tom must have sent it to Bruce because the cereal box actually shows up in the background in a couple of the videos that Bruce and Jamie have thrown on the internet. But anyways, I think uh, Buffalo Skinners is, is one of my top two or three favorite albums of all time. Just absolute genius. Sometimes when we do these deep dives, we read the liner notes, which uh, in many cases have wonderful notes from Stuart about the album. Uh, we don't have that for this one. But we do have another thing that, that I thought was pretty interesting. And that was a series of posts that Tony did on the old uh, message board. And I have to thank uh, David Brown for this because he kept all these notes and he shared them uh, on the Facebook group a couple years ago at this point. But I, I kept that when he shared it. So now I can uh, pull it up again. Thank so, you, David. Uh, 
Thank you, David, so much. And uh, just to put the intro, this is what Tony first wrote. How do I feel about listening to stuff now? Well, this is the first time since Stuart's passing that I have really wanted to listen to our music. What I intend doing is listen to an album a week and write a comment on it here. And I have comments for not all the albums, but at least three or four, I think. And one of them is the Buffalo Skinners. So on Friday, the 3rd of November, 2006, Tony Butler posted the following. As promised, this got the iPod treatment yesterday. I was genuinely knocked out by the power of this album. It was a real pleasure listening to this again. I think this was the closest to a rock band I wanted the band to sound. Alone is a great opener, but I think it could have been mixed better. A problem I remember having with the guy who mixed it. Seven Waves is a class pop tune with amazing guitar melodies and a fantastic chorus. What are you working for is just stunning. The one I love should have been a massive single hit. Long Way Home is simply brilliant, awesome in power, music and lyric. This may sound a little biased, but Selling of America is the stuff of genius. It is dramatic, anthemic, powerful, guitar-lick, mungus, pure theater. <laughs> Kansas is a better version of the classic track. Ships really stopped me in my tracks. It's a beautiful song, brilliantly crafted with unbelievable piano. I completely forgot about All Go Together. There are some brilliant guitar bits from both Axemen here. Winding Wind took me by surprise as well. I really got into it about halfway through, but it sounds like a lot of ideas welded together. Pink Marshmallow Moon is an audio delight. It sounded so delicious in the headphones. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Apart from the bass being a bit low in the mix. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised he waited till the second last song to say something about that. <laughs> nice. Finally, Chester's Farm. Epic finale. Let you into a little secret. This was Stuart's least favorite track, not because he didn't like the song, but because it was going a little too epic rock for his liking. Hmm. That is a comment I will be getting into big time when we get to that song, so that's uh, that will be pulled up again. Um, the title track did, did not go on this album, not because it was not liked, on the contrary, more because this album turned into a rock album, and we were all digging it. Buffalo Skinners was a little soft and country. The imagery of the title, however, was too cool not to keep. It didn't matter that the song wasn't on it. Same could be said about The Crossing. I also remember going to Pentagon Sud where they had two buffalo, which blew me away. Buffalo are big, and so were we. So that was nice. Uh, Tony was able to revisit uh, stuff in 2006. That was many years before I could. It uh, took uh, or into the 2010-11s before I picked up something again. So that's probably why I missed the comments like this the first time around. So again, thank you, David, for preserving that. I also have one for Driving to Damascus, which we'll uh, pick up at the appropriate time, which is very interesting. So uh, Tony is very positive to this overall. Yeah, as well he should be. And I'd I'd forgotten that he had actually gone through each track and given a couple little uh, Mm. anecdotes about each one. So that's that's interesting. I was listening to those with, with great interest as I was thinking of my rankings for each song as well <laughs> you're still not sure are you well i I'm, I'm pretty sure but like some of the songs that i there's there's at least a couple songs that i rank pretty high that i noticed on our fan group um listing that were ranked lower so i was i was feeling a little self-conscious about that but he he mentioned at least one and he and he had a really nice thing to say about it so i feel a little bit better but uh yeah uh, i feel the same way by the way that the I can't believe more people don't like this song, but, uh, you know, maybe we'll set them straight. Maybe we will. Yeah, maybe we will. And with that... Let's do it. Let's do it. 
All right, we're going to open up with track one, Alone. Okay, so I've already told the story about when I heard this for the first time. I think a lot of us, obviously, this was the first track representing the Buffalo Skinners that we heard was Alone because it was the first single. Came out a number of uh, weeks or something before the album came out. And uh, just as a little aside about this single and some of the others that came out around that time from a packaging standpoint, I always thought it was funny and kind of weird, even back then, that actually printed on the single itself, it would say something like, next version out next week. <laughs> did you ever notice that it's like yeah. it, it wasn't a sticker i thought it would make more sense to put a sticker on it that said next next week but now forever for eternity as long as we have these cds it always says cd2 out next week well what we got uh, what we got over here was actually a, a kind of double package where cd1 was in yeah and in place of uh, cd2 was like a cardboard cd shape thing that's exactly what i got yeah uh, okay cool yeah so that was, that was a fad. Yeah, and that's weird, too, because then you get the second version, and you're supposed to put it back in the first one. So the the, the uh, packaging that the second one comes in is, I guess, supposed to be like throwaway packaging. It's <laughs> just kind of strange, strange way to do it. But anyway, sorry for the tangent, but we're talking about this song. So, um, yeah, what, what a great opening. And I mentioned this on the roundtable discussion. I mean, that opening of the song, as soon as I heard it, I just really felt like Big Country had returned at least to their roots. I mean, um, that that crystal clear, beautiful, shimmering guitar sound uh, just hit me immediately and, and sent chills up my spine. Um, and then Stuart, the melody that he that he sings in the beginning of that song, is so beautiful. So it kind of took me back to maybe some seer type of melodies, perhaps. Um, it, it just that we talked about light and shade and how this album doesn't really have a lot of light and shade really but this song sort of does i mean when it when it kicks in it pretty much kicks in for good but in the opening just that beautiful clean haunting mysterious sound uh is, is so big country to me and, and i had missed that so much in the previous two albums so that was really great I, I remember even calling up um the girl that i was dating at the time and subjecting to big country constantly and and she had kind of become sort of a fan through brainwashing and i remember calling her up and playing it for her and saying look listen to this it's so great this is how great it sounds so anyway um, but uh <laughs> so the, the first lines of the song though I, I think are really telling and they really set the tone for pretty much the whole album in a way hmm. um and and those lines are the midday sky was gray and purple at least it wasn't blue I want the sky to be the way I am and what I do. And what an interesting statement, uh, almost a declaration type of statement where Stuart, I think, is talking about himself here. Well, obviously, but he wants he wants the sky to be gray and purple. I'm not sure what the purple color represents necessarily, but the main thing that we can take away from those opening lines is that he's not in the mood for something pretty. He's not in the mood for blue skies. He's he's got a. What he does and the way he is is gray and purple. You know, purple could maybe be seen as as bruised, perhaps. Who knows? But gray is certainly more easily understood. Just a, a melancholic feel 
uh, that he's really setting the stage for there. And that not only sets the stage for the lyrics of the song, but it sets the stage for the feel of a lot of the album and a lot of the other lyrics that are to come. And it's really an, a song that's about a failing relationship. And what's interesting to me is that it's the first of, of the first four songs on this album, or excuse me, the first three songs out of four are all about a failing relationship. And we know that Stuart was going through that at the time. He was he would get divorced a couple years later. So I think we can read a lot into these lyrics about the kinds of things that that were happening to him on a personal level. Um, and I think it's it's just a beautiful and yet incredibly sad and poignant way to reflect what he was going through. I mean, talking about being a sailor run aground um, by trusting signals that he was getting. And I always I, I never knew if if that was if the word trusting there meant that he was trusting in signals he was sending or the signals themselves were trusting signals like that was an adjective. Anyway, it, it probably doesn't make any difference, but that always interested me. It was, it's an interesting little turn of phrase that you could take in a different in a couple different ways. I thought I always thought that that the other person were sending out trusting signals. Which is kind of interesting because then he would have feelings of betrayal almost. Like I trusted you, and uh, this this didn't hold true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I certainly saw it that way too. And then other times I would think about, well, maybe he's trusting in the signals that this person is sending him. But yeah, who knows? I mean, either way it works for the song. Um, but yeah, it's we, we talked about this song as a single, and I don't want to get too much deeply into that again. But I do think that this is such a personal song, and that's one of the things that it, it doesn't necessarily keep it from being good single material. But I think that is one of the things that make this song a little bit harder to relate to. And I think Tim brought this up in the roundtable discussion that it's such a, an, a cynical, um, individual song about this person's pain, and it's really personal. And I know a lot of people can relate to these things, but just the way these lyrics are portrayed it, it just seems so personal to Stuart and it's it seems like a less relatable type of song now for me I, I mean one of the few things that I would criticize the song about and it's not really a criticism necessarily but it's just something that maybe kept it from rating too highly for me one of the things is is the title alone um I feel like I've heard that title so many times and and in fact when the chorus kicks in I always felt like the chorus of this song was a little weaker than the verses. I think the verses are just fantastic. The verses are are powerful. They're huge. They're classic big country. But for some reason, every time the the chorus of this song kicks in, I just I I tune tune out a little bit. And I don't know what it is. It's kind of like the music of the choruses seems a little bit plotting to me, maybe. Um I feel like again, just that idea of alone. I, I I can't help thinking of that heart song from like a couple of years earlier uh, called Alone. And I don't know if I've heard other songs called Alone. So I had to detract some points, I guess, from that, some originality points for that title, um, which, which sounds kind of harsh because it is such a it's such a powerful song. And, and the lyrics are so dis distressing, really, in a lot of ways. Um, but. I, I think musically it's a it's a great return to form in a lot of ways for Big Country. It's a good statement to start the album. We've got like uh, a classic Big Country solo line that comes in um, throughout the song that a, a melody line that's repeated over and over on the guitar. And it's very Celtic sounding, which is something they hadn't done much uh, in the past couple of albums. They do it a lot on this album. Yeah. 
Um, it, it kind this that kind of thing and that doing that structurally for a song actually makes these songs a lot longer. But I like it. It's like there's there's always these this little and it's not it's not the guitar solo, but even though it is a lead part, it's like this lead line that just repeats itself throughout the song. And uh, I think that's really great. I remember hearing that and thinking that's a great big country sounding riff and great lead part. Um, but. The drums are huge. I mean, that was the first time that I really noticed how what the drum style was going to be. And they really have that just big, almost, gosh, really almost heavy metal type of sound to them in a lot of ways. I mean, big, huge kick drums, big, huge snare drums. Never heard a drum sound like this. Um, great little bass riffs from Tony throughout. In fact, he does something really cool on the verses where in the in the beginning of the verses, he plays the same two notes on the bass. It's like dun 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 and he plays that over chords that are actually playing some different chords. And then as the verse gets into the second half of the verse, he then starts to follow what the guitar chords are playing. It's it's kind of a little subtle thing, but it adds so much to the feel of the song. Probably the the other line that really stands out for me in this song is it's not my life and those old pictures, um, the ones you threw away. I was always someone else, always far away. And again, we we get back to this thing that always seems to reoccur with Stewart's lyric writing, and, and that is this sense of family and this this longing to have a connection to family and to you know we've heard this ever since inwards, and it, it, it's it's kind of this thing where he could never. He can never really reconcile the idea of being this traveling musician who's not at home nearly as much as he wants to be with what he does want, which is to to be with his family, to not miss out on things. And man, it, it's it's a that's a heartbreaking line, really. Um, and it, that that kind of takes me back to that whole thing where he's he just feels like he's maybe missed out on too much. And certainly if he's having marital issues at this time, which it's, this album certainly would attest to. Uh, that makes it even even more troubling and uh, and and difficult listening to hear those types of lyrics, and it's really a big window into his soul. So it's a it's a depressing song in a lot of ways, but it's it's typical big country. It's typical Stewart when we look back, and I, I kind of go back too to something Mark Brzezicki said in that classic rock interview not too long ago, where he says Stewart was laying out a lot of how he felt in a lot of these songs, and and people just missed it and he missed it and didn't quite see. And, and I think you get that in this song, you really get a, a wide open view into what he's feeling and, and just the isolation that he's feeling. And it's, it's kind of, it's kind of stirring. So last thing I'll say about it, um, musically is we've got, uh, I think musically the song lets you know that it's going to be kind of a vicious, brutal, raw album. And even Stewart's guitar solo at the end, it's almost like a, heavy metal type of solo in a way it's or more traditional rock solo. It's got like little um, hammer on types of things. And he's got that throughout this album. We're almost Eddie Van Halen esque at times. Um, and I wasn't sure how I felt about that, to be honest, when I first heard it, because I, I, I almost don't want that necessarily from big country. It, it can work and it works here, but there are times when I kind of don't want that. And I'll get into that more with other songs. But um, anyway, it's, it's a strong opening 
salvo, I guess, for this album. It's not my favorite song by a, by a pretty good stretch, but I do like it a lot. Parts of it I absolutely love. Um, it, the weak part for me has always been the chorus is a little little weak to me, and that that brings it down a little bit points wise. But uh, other than that, it's it's a it's a strong tune, strong opener. Do we even want to mention Martin Chambers? <laughs> no, let's not mention him. I was trying to avoid that image, and now it's stuck in my head. <laughs> Damn you, Martin Chambers. Yeah, well. Haunt my dreams. The heavy metal drums of Martin Chambers. <laughs> oh, he can sit alone. Titles about him. Well, uh, I tried to look for each of these songs for a quote from Stuart telling something about the song, what it's about. And I actually found one for Alone, and it's probably the least descriptive and most generic quote I've ever seen from him about any of his songs. <laughs> But I have this quote from Modern Rock Live, September 1993, and what he has to share about this nugget, this, this glimmer of insight is, quote-unquote, it's about being alone. <laughs> I knew that was coming. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, that helps a lot. Thank you, Stuart. Thanks, Stuart. Uh, but uh, obviously, it's the album opener. <laughs> it was the single. It was the first track most people heard. It wasn't the first track I heard, but I think most people had their first encounter with this album through this song. So, uh, we discussed it in terms of single. I don't know if we discussed it in terms of album opener, which is a different thing. And uh, I think that works just perfectly. There's either two ways of starting. And one the one way is to go with the, the all go together, the sort of boom. But I think mm -hmm. that works better as a show opener than album opener. Actually, for albums, I much prefer the alone approach, which is, which is to snare you in, to open with a very catchy little riff and, and singing. It goes pretty straight into it, but then it builds. And you sort of are pulled further and further in. So I, I think that's uh, that's great. And that's probably why uh, they, it was picked as a single too. It really has a great opening to, to snare you in. And it starts straight on the first beat with the singing. The singing and the guitar. The mid, and there from there you go. So um, yeah, that, that's, that's pretty uh, sort of straight on as well. But in a different way than the all go-togethers out there. Mm. And uh, much like yourself, I'm I'm really interested in the story behind the title. When you see a title like Alone, I mean, the, the first thing you do is think of the heart song. But the second thing you do, uh, the song title is Alone. The lyrics are about this guy walking around alone. He is alone. He thinks about being alone. Okay. But why is he alone? What's been going on? And that's the kind of stuff that's interesting. He clearly is sad. So uh, you mentioned the the sky. And he wants it to be the way he is, which is gray and for some reason purple. That never made sense to me either. If Unless someone beat him up. He came out of an abusive relationship or something. But the, <laughs> the, the gray is kind of enough. Yeah. And I kind of like the cynical throw-in. Like, uh, the mid sky was gray and purple. Uh, at least it wasn't blue. That's very dry. <laughs> it's a little humorous. It's uh, I always saw that as a twist of humor. It, it reminds me of a Beatles song called Getting Better, where Paul McCartney is the positive one. And he says, uh, uh, I have to admit it's getting better, getting better all the time. And you have cynical John coming, well, can't get much worse. <laughs> and that's uh, this thing. It was gray and purple, but at least it wasn't blue. So uh, I always think back to that. It's it's a cool thing. But after that, the, the humor, if you can call that humor, kind of stops. And it gets more personal it's it's clearly dealing with love and loss and there are lines in this song that points to uh this as 
a very you know aftermath you have some songs on this album that kind of describes the turmoil of while it is ending this is clearly after it's ended and uh, he had high expectations and you have lines like i walked out of the silver mine my pockets full of sand he thought he had found something it could be a relationship of some sort but it didn't work out so he came out with nothing which is the sand and uh, that line, <laughs> not to go off on tangents all the time, but it reminds me of this Motorhead interview where Lemmy was talking about the misfortunes of Motorhead. And he said, <laughs> we would fall into a bag full of nipples and come out of it sucking our thumb. <laughs> it's the same kind of thing. Walking well, I'm glad the... you brought that. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that line up because I meant to mention that, too. And I almost thought, saw that sometimes as like a, thinking about his career as well. It's like he walked out mm -hmm. of the silver mines and then he's like, what do I have to show for all this work that I've done? Exactly. But yeah, why not? It, it could apply to a lot of things. The, uh, the one line that kind of where he reveals himself, the only line where he kind of speaks directly to another person, because otherwise it could well be the career. But he says, it's not my life in those old pictures, the one you threw away, mm. the you who evidently threw out his old pictures or threw out those memories and sort of moved on past them. That's the line that kind of reveals this as a relationship song to me. Because otherwise, you could take it a lot of ways, and you should never really take a song at face value. So we kind of been potty trained to be a bit suspicious for reading big country lyrics. You never quite know what could be going on. Uh, there are some um, some interesting things to dig into here, and uh, you mentioned this thing about alone being angry and exclusive, and it being about the singer and not inviting other people in. Uh, I, I think that taps into something that was kind of of its time. And, and there are two things I want to say. One of them is that a lot of grunge bands of the 90s would play into this exact kind of thing, more somber lyrical themes, if you will. Not just a, not just about love lost, but there was a whole life sucks, then you die. And uh, that attitude ran rampant in a lot of songs at that time. So if you're going to talk about songs that are non-inclusive and potentially alienating, I would say that for a time it was almost fashionable in the musical climate of the early 90s with uh, with grunge and those things. But it really never was a big country thing, and I, I agree it shouldn't be. But then you also have the other thing that taps into something going back to the 80s, where you had bands like um, The Smiths readily comes to mind, and Morrissey kept writing all these miserable songs about feeling miserable and sad and unwanted and unloved and loneliness and oh god <laughs> you want to kill yourself so songs like last night i dreamt that somebody loved me or unlovable or <laughs> i want the one i can't have and especially heaven knows i'm miserable now and what happened was everybody who felt the same way said yes they're singing about me or i identify with this so there's a total recognition value so Stuart singing a about alone in the context of grunge and also in that tradition of the 80s it works if you find someone who feels the same way then that song is totally for them and they can latch onto it so uh, i don't know I, I guess where you are in life if if you feel pretty good then you don't want to be dragged down to the level that the song is uh, is at clearly so um it can go both ways it's a dangerous gamble to take and i agree it's not really big country thing but it was very much I guess, Stewart's thing sometimes, and he would be real like that. And we recognize that and latch on to it just out of the quality and the genuinity, really, which very yeah. much is Big Country's thing. 
just to say something about the music, you mentioned the album opening, and uh, it tells a lot about what's to come. And uh, I, I always look at album openers and how they work and uh, how good they are. And my favorite opener in in Big Country's catalog is Flame of the West, which is a ferocious opener. So this is much um, a little bit more light and shade than that even for an album that didn't have so much and you kind of mentioned that too so i guess we see the same riffing and singing that they kick in and the song keeps building and that's a thing for me that the songs builds a lot of the songs just they they, they reach a crescendo and i i love the chorus too there's dual um, layers of rhythm that play against each other and lead guitars i think battling lead guitars even and lots of harmony vocals. There's so much harmony. Everything is kind of double layered. It's an incredible pick me up against those lyrics and that's <laughs> we have a lot of that on this album in particular very uplifting songs and a bit downtrodden lyrics i want to mention the outro too after the last chorus dies out and you have a more muted uh, little guitar thing and he sings over it and that's what they eventually fade out with that gives the song a huge emotional hook at the end kind of like a, when the music's over type feel more quiet he's still there alone so that is a terrific way of ending the song, and that just the way of ending it that way is, is genius. This is a problem I'm going to mention for a lot of songs. I think the, the ending of songs is uh, is a little lazy. A, a lot of the time they just sing the chorus over and over and fade out. This song is, is fantastic. They have actually designed an outro that works with the theme of the song and that leaves you there and has a big emotional punch. So I, I love the ending of the song too, as much as I love the other things. Yeah, me too. And the funny thing is, is that that outro then became the intro for the live version of that song in a way. Mm. I mean, they kind of rep replicated that when they would do that song live. And I absolutely love that part when they played it live because it has such a almost Lost Patrol Celtic feel to it. Yeah. And it's it's the same kind of guitar playing where Stuart is like plucking those two strings. <laughs> Um, 
he does some cooler stuff live. But yeah, I always thought that was interesting. They kind of brought that back around. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Some interesting uh, live arrangements for a lot of these songs, and we did get to hear plenty of them, so that's uh, that's a cool thing too. Yeah. I uh, just want to say one last thing about uh, not necessarily single choice, but when I look at how well this single did, uh, sort of the single placement in, in their catalog, we, we know that Alone reached number 24 in the UK. And if you look at uh, their single chronology, Big Country have a total of 29 singles released in the UK since the beginning. And Look Away was the most successful. That was the most successful one at, at 7. And Alone ranks number 9 overall. They're the ninth most successful single of those 29. But that includes the hit years of the first 5 albums. So if you start after Look Away, 20 singles were released after Look Away. So purely looking at those 20 singles after their most successful one, Alone is actually their third most successful, only beaten by One Great Thing and King of Emotion. That's actually pretty good. So I, we can still discuss if Alone is a favorite single pick or not. Perhaps it isn't. But as as history shows, it clearly wasn't a bad one either. And yeah. I, ha I have to admit that Alone pretty much did the job it was chosen to do. It uh, sort of outdid most of the ones before it within reason and everything after it yeah definitely it did a, it it did a good job and uh as we've talked about in the last episode and i read um in the in a book i think it was the alan glenn book um a quote from stewart where he said it was between this one seven waves and uh long way home for the first single and he just stewart said he really wanted the first single release to be a really hard rocking song mm. And that he just ended up choosing this one. So I'm, I'm curious what the other discussions were within the band as to which one they preferred. And we can get into, I mean, it's, we can maybe get into that as we go through some of these, but, um, yeah, it's interesting if like Stuart put his foot down and said, no, this is the single, or if it was a democratic thing, who knows, but it certainly worked. It did a good job. It did the job it was meant to do. And, uh, ships did not manage to topple it. Nothing they ever did after this toppled, uh, alone. Which is sad in a way, but uh, they did breach the top 40, and uh, quite well too. Yep. So how do you rank it? For me, I rank it number eight. Um, it's it's lower on my list, mainly because of, as I said, the chorus, it just doesn't, it never really blew me away. Um, the rest of it I really like, but it's a good song, a strong song, but it, it's number eight for me. All right, so a little bit down on the list. Well... I have it at number four. Oh, wow. Uh, it's definitely one of the, the better ones. The, the interesting thing is, and we're going to go through the, um, the votes of the 49 people who, uh, who gave their opinion, and they think we are too harsh with the song. The, the, the community ranking of this song is number two. Oh, wow. The interesting thing is there are two songs that are way ahead of everybody else, and Alone is one of them. Wow. So it has an average placing, and this doesn't mean much, but it has um, like a 4.3, which means it hovers between 4 and 5 in most people's rankings with a closer tendency to 4. So basically, in layman's terms, we are idiots, with me being the biggest idiot. <laughs> I, I, I would say yes if I had on the full tally <laughs> to see which of us is the biggest idiot. You, you never know. <laughs> you might start out as one and then come out strong. So, At least in terms of this song. Well, who knows? Because uh, I also did another thing, which I'm going to 
mention briefly, I counted the number of number one placements and the number of number 12 placements for each song and alone got 10 number one votes out of 49, which is a fairly large chunk of number one votes. Wow. Uh, it only got one number 12 vote. So we had one person putting it last. So it wow. it did have both, and that's kind of interesting. And there are only three songs that didn't get a number one vote and three songs that didn't get a number 12 vote. Obviously not the same songs, but um, that's, uh, that it says something about the spread of these votes and the differing opinions and really how close these songs are. Very cool. Hi, this is Rob in Ontario, Canada. I'm calling about the Buffalo Skinners um, album when it came out. Uh, Big Country pretty much had no uh, profile here in Canada at all. I didn't even know it was out. A friend of mine just happened to spot it at a store nearby, and so I went and checked it out, and it was the only copy there. I hadn't heard any of it uh, until I bought the uh, actual CD. And when I played it, I, I didn't even care that there was hardly any Celtic influence. It was just like a hard rock album. And uh, I loved it. I thought it was a great album. It was, I thought it was maybe their number four album of all time in, in, in my record collection for sure. But um, I played that uh, I played that CD a lot for probably a couple of years and I really, really liked it. Um, anyway, great show, guys. I really enjoy it. I listen to your podcast overnight when I work and uh, keep it up. Appreciate it. Shot! Well, let's jump into the song that uh, I guess was competing with this for the first single, and that is Seven Waves. Seven Waves is also an interesting song. Just like Alone, I'm kind of immediately interested in the title. What does that mean? And uh, I found out, actually this was something we discussed back in the old mailing list 20 years ago, so I'm kind of amazed I remember this, but the title someone said, and I'm I, sorry, I don't remember who said this, but it seemed to refer to one of those sailor superstitions, like every seventh wave is supposed to be a lucky wave. And then if you, uh, I looked it up on Spotify and I found a song by Sting called Love is the Seventh Wave. So mm-hmm. I, I guess this is something that's uh, out there and it means something. So Seven Waves, the Seventh Wave is lucky. Uh, there's also a British movie again. And we know Stuart in the 90s often uh, looked to movies for titles and cool imagery. And there is a movie starring Tyrone Power called Seven Waves Away. Yeah, I just noticed this today. Yeah, the US title for that movie, by the way, was Abandoned Ship. Abandoned so Ship, cl- yes. Clearly, you were shortchanged. Seven Waves Away <laughs> has to take the price on that one. Uh, just to mention briefly, the music. Uh, the music for this song pretty much comes from Bruce Watson, who demoed the song instrumentally on his own. I think it, actually he mentioned that Mandy Charlton from Nazareth was engineer for these demos. But uh, thankfully, he put this demo on one of the many collections of demos and ideas and outtakes and everything that he put out in the late 1990s and early 2000s. So we have them and can listen to them and uh, listen to a lot of songs in their making.
and this particular demo was released on the Hayo Tonto Away CD in February 2001 and the song on that disc is called 27 Waves Away which clearly is a title that was given in hindsight because uh, Stuart wrote the lyrics after the music was done uh, and rehearsed by the band and uh, this is interestingly not the only demo we get from Bruce from this time he, he did bring some others into the sessions and they also have been released on uh, demo albums so we'll talk about them when we get to those songs but uh, what this underlines is that all the guys were songwriters who contributed massively to the music and the sound of the band. And uh, I think we're all guilty of sometimes thinking every guitar solo was Stuart, every, everything primarily came from him. And obviously that's not fair. And I think with age and wisdom, we, we know that's not the case either. So uh, once again, we, we, we want to underline that. But this is yet another invigorating song. And I can fully understand why this and Alone certainly uh, were the contenders for single, because it's very uplifting, very energizing. One of those songs that just lift you up. And they kick into it again, very direct, straight into the main melody, which carries the song throughout. It's an incredible strong melody. And if you listen to Bruce's original demo, the song really hasn't changed much. The, the music is uh, pretty much finished there. I think it was just taken to the band to figure out specific parts and I guess for Stuart obviously to add a lyric. And looking at these lyrics, they um, they are very personal, clearly. I always said th there are three songs on this album that feels like the lyrics were just ripped out of a diary. And Alone is kind of a personal song, but I don't think that's a diary song. I think this is a diary song. Uh, along with uh, the one I love and Pink Marshmallow Moon in particular. I think those three are really the chronicle of a breakup. And that's where it gets uh, a little tricky for me, because it's hard not to think about what was going on in Stuart's personal life, and he was still married to Sandra Adamson. But clearly they, they had some issues, as we know. They, they did divorce some years later. <coughs> Let me see. I don't know how much I want to get into this, but they did move to Florida in September 1994, Stuart and the family. And they were back again in Dunfermline the next year, and he moved to the U.S. again in 96 as a newly divorced man. So you can sort of see the Florida move as a last ditch. Let, let's try something new. Let's see if we can, uh, if that's enough to save this. And yep. sadly, it wasn't. But uh, in 1992, when these songs were written, the marriage was still going. And uh, <laughs> even so, if you look at some of these songs, something must have felt wrong. There, there is a feeling of doom here. And you can take this song literally as a Stuart and Sandra song or see it as describing this type of a situation on an overall level. Uh, in my mind, of course, the context is very specific. You know, It's hard to forget the people who that it stemmed from. So this is really the context for songs like Seven Waves and getting into it on that level is a little hard to discuss. I feel like it's none of my business, but it was put in several of these songs. So if we're going to discuss the songs without mentioning Stuart's situation, that then it becomes the elephant in the room. So we'll try to see if we can find a happy balance here. So basically this song, it's the end of a relationship very clearly. And um, a lot of that seem to be put into several of the songs from this time and if you look at let's look at how it starts i don't think too much i don't look inside for all the things i hid away for all these years have faded now or died how much how much more literal can you get that's um and don't look through me with, the, with those strangers eyes it's all the signs of a relationship in the full throes of alienation and things uh, having changed 
and the world keep turning underneath my feet if I go in with the lies. I don't think I need to explain any of these. It's 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 laid out there, very bare. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'll, I'll instead go to the line that really gets to me. just sort of submission someone someone entered the room and it kind of gets cold and you keep your head down you avoid the discussions you kind of avoid each other it's um this is pretty bleak i mean from uh, from someone who uh, not necessarily want everything to be utterly romantic every time but this is pretty bleak this is he's describing a dead relationship they're not even working on it yeah, well, and well, then the shining your shoes too. That, it's almost like he puts himself in like a servant's role, you know, like he's trying to appease her with nothing coming from the other end. That always struck me as interesting. Yeah, keeping his head down. It's the she's, don't want to say the wrong thing, basically, or care worried about uh, doing something wrong. I don't know what you can do wrong at this point that hasn't already been done. But uh, there's also a line here that I think is a direct reference to Sandra Adamson. When you look at, I led my head head down at your famous feet when you said I was the one. Yeah. I don't know if everybody knows this, but Sandra Adamson was the World Highland Dance Champion in uh, 1978. So, World Highland Dance Champion, that's pretty impressive. You have to have pretty famous feet if you win that. So... uh, I don't know for sure that that's what the line refers to, but uh, that's what I think of when I see those lines or hear those lines in the song. Uh, then you have the going out lines. I call them the going out lines. Like, hey, baby, you just go out tonight. It's only me that cries. Like, you have fun. You don't care. I'll be at home and cry. That's the sad one. And then you have, <laughs> then you have the pleading one. Hey, baby, don't you stay out tonight and say it isn't fun. Like, don't don't go. Now I changed my mind. Please don't go. And then you have the final going out line, which is the insecure or asking why. Do you really want to be here tonight or are you just around? So then she actually didn't go out. She did stay. But then he's insecure and wondering why she's staying there. So it's it's really about going through the motions on every front. Like, I'm sad if you leave. I'm pleading with you not to leave. But why the heck are you here if you're here? So that's... Um, <laughs> it puts the finger on something. It, it describes it really well. And I think this needs to come from a place of having lived it to say it like that, because I, I, I think they're terrific lyrics, but at the same time, it's hard to applaud them because of uh, what it took to, to get to them. Uh, we have also the doorway lyrics, which is very interesting towards the end of the song, really in the bridge before the solo. darkness is a doorway in the morning is a doorway every morning is a doorway or i think the doorway is the way out the point between staying and going so the sound of her sleeping is a comfort and an option of working out the relationship and maybe staying together but the sun seems to represent the freedom and promise of a better life maybe without her all these things point to what i call the conclusion part of the song where he says 
So you end there on the bottom after being pretty low the entire song. And this is the numbness. Like after the pain, you may perhaps have stopped feeling. And stopping to feel takes away the pain, but that also takes away some of the will to go on. You're, you're left feeling indifferent. You just don't see the point. So, yeah, it doesn't hurt anymore, but, you know, I might just drown. Who cares? That's kind of the, uh, the numbness and the very end. So the whole song is basically looking for an escape, but there seems to be no way to fix it. And the other person does not seem to particularly want that either, or to offer solutions or encouragement. So that that's the lyrics. So after everything we started out with talking about the music and how uplifting that is, then we have all these words that are so downbeat and sad. No other song, I think, the divide is greater between the two, because this is... I have to say, one of the most uplifting melodies in the entire Big Country catalog. And it's also some of the saddest and, you know, borderline suicidal at the end there uh, lyrics that we've ever had. So this is um, this is so Big Country to, to have that mix. And it's uh, hard to talk about, but I think this is what it is. And th- these are pages from a diary. This is very personal stuff. And I'm absolutely perplexed that he actually put this in song so i don't know <laughs> interested in your takes at this point i need a drink <laughs> yeah that was that was quite a quite a monologue and that was a good one um yeah i mean you, you covered almost everything i was going to cover as as far as the major points of it uh so i'm not going to rehash a lot of that but uh yeah i mean the, the other thing that i'll say about the the old sailor's tale is uh it's this idea that that waves come in groups of seven. And what I read was like, yeah, there, I did read something about the seventh one being the lucky one, but I also read that seventh, the seventh one being the biggest one and the being the last one, like the, mm. this idea that waves come in groups of seven. So if you, if you think of it that way and love is seven waves away, it's almost just a clever way of saying that love is about as far away as it could, as it could possibly be in this relationship. Um, which which always hit me. And yeah, it, it is. We've, we've got a lot of songs in the Big Country catalog that we've talked about that have these just incredibly depressing lyrics, but yet these these pump your fists almost kind of melodies and choruses. And and I think this is really one of the one of the most prominent ones, because I remember singing this song in a car driving with some people and people who knew it. And, you know, we were singing the song and singing the chorus like, hey, yeah, you know, and it felt good. But then when you think about those lyrics, <laughs> it feels so crushing. Yeah. So it, it really is. And and I think you you framed it well when you say that it's a fine line that we want to walk here when we're talking about these songs, because they are so clearly about his relationship with with his wife. So it, it kind of feels weird dissecting them at this point and talking about such personal things. But but at the same time, he as you say, he did put them out there. Mm. And, um, you know, maybe he didn't necessarily expect people to figure it all out, but he put them out there in in 
really laid bare kind of fashion. And it's pretty impossible to to not see what these things are. And, and this is another example, kind of like Alone, where it, even more so, where it's it's just such a personal song. And there really aren't many lyrics here that I think you can really pick up as as being every man kind of lyrics or, or I mean, obviously, everyone can relate pretty much to a relationship ending. But often those types of songs are done in broad strokes and and very generic type of lyrics that people could relate to more. But these, while they are relatable in some respects, they also are just so personal. And the one line you brought up about famous feet, I mean, most people who don't know about what you brought up would think, what does that mean? Um, or just think it's some kind of abstract thing. But yeah, when you when you think about Sandra's uh, history, it's almost impossible not to put those two things together. So, yeah, I mean, you hit the lyrics uh, about as hard as, as you can hit them. And, and they are just really incredibly dark lyrics. And again, um, going back to that comment that Mark made, um, when you say this, when you hear this thing about it, it doesn't hurt anymore. It doesn't get me, get me down, but I might just sweat on the waves tonight and lay right down and drown. I mean, yeah. once again, we get this insight into Stewart's mindset. And granted, he didn't seem to really be that way outwardly. Of course, he never seemed that way outwardly. But um, by all by all accounts, everything was going really well for him professionally then. And um, he looked great. He looked so fit, and the band was on fire. And so you got a you got that sense of a guy who was really hungry and and excited and um, inspired on a professional level, at least. But yet you do get these insights into some of his personal demons hmm. and just how deeply he could take some of these things. And, um, yeah, the, the one line about don't you go, don't you go out tonight and say it isn't fun. I always took that one as being like the person, the girl in the story would would go out. But then to try to appease him when she came back, she would say, like, ah, I, I really, really didn't have a great time. And um, that, that's kind of how I always took that line. And he's just saying, you know, don't go out and then pretend like you didn't have a good time. I know that you did. And um, it, it, that does capture well this idea of the magic in a relationship disappearing. And it, it's very sad. Uh, but musically, I'll go back to the music. Um, it's it's just an incredible song musically, I think. There, there's so many wonderful moments in this. And to me, one of the greatest moments uh, and kind of, areas of the song is that bridge i think that bridge i remember i remember hearing it for the first time the the doorway portion of the song um both lyrically and musically that just hit me so hard it's so so gorgeous um musically and lyrically too um i never quite got a sense of what the doorway referenced either you had an interesting theory on it it's kind of one of those abstract things um kind of when looking at the thing as a whole i almost took a, an even darker approach to it like a doorway being some way out and not necessarily in a happy way i don't know but maybe that's just what happened clouding my my view of it but but the thing is is that 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 beautiful bridge is then followed by just a cutting amazing classic big country guitar solo i think it's the best guitar solo on the album um and it, it's just it's just fantastic. It's Stuart just lays into that that solo, and, and I remember hearing that again for the first time, and just thinking, "Wow, you know, you you kind of got me with alone. You, you made me feel like things were coming back." And but then this song really brought it all home to me that 
what this is just classic. Oh, yeah. It's ferocious. It's yeah. Uh, it's uh, it doesn't hold back anything, and you can say that about a lot of solos. But I think this one is particularly almost vicious. It is. Yeah, you could feel that in it. Yeah, that solo is is great, and and again, it's it's vicious and both both vicious and beautiful, which Stewart seems to excel at. And uh, so th- this song, I mean, there's really not much else to say about it. It's it's one of the <laughs> darkest songs on the album, maybe even in the whole catalog from a lyrical perspective. From a musical perspective, it's it's got it's it's got a melancholy feeling feeling to it. Yeah, but it's it's it still has that anthemic feel to it. So, but it, it's great. I mean. Uh, Everything about this song works perfectly for me. Um, and, and again, I have to go back to that bridge because I think that's just a just a stunning moment in the song. I, I just love that mm. that part so much. So, yeah, this is. Uh, well, I'll just go ahead and say it. This, this is my number one song on the album. This is number one for me. Mm. It's a very worthy one. Yeah, thanks. And, and, and like I've said, I think I said to you all fair there and I've said this for other albums, it's it's not number one by a long shot, but it, it does end up being number one. Yeah, exactly. And this is one of those three songs that is my favorite song. <laughs> it's number three, though. Cool. That's how it came out. And uh, that's really because some of the other songs lift me up lyrically as well as musically. And uh, I don't want to rate hold that against the song, but it's a, it's a complex thing, this ranking. Very complex. But uh, the audience agrees with you, by the way. Ah, nice. This is the number one overall for everybody. And this one and alone has um, almost a full ranking higher than all the others on average. And that's a lot for 49 votes. Wow. That's really a lot. And uh, alone has 13 number ones out of the uh, 49 people. And it has zero number 12s. It's one of the three that didn't get the number 12 ranking. Very interesting. Very interesting. Nice. Yeah. Good. It's very close between us two, but Seven Waves did take the one there. Hi, guys. It's uh, Andy from Melbourne, Australia here. Uh, Buffalo Skinner's Memories. Wow. What I think it initially did for me was, uh, as I put the CD into the player and listened to it for the first time, two arms reached out of the speakers, grabbed me by the shoulders, and shook me. It was was like Big Country were saying, hey, we're still here. We still know how to do this. Uh, they were totally re-energized. And uh, speaking to Colin Berwick, luckily, a few years ago, Colin lives in Melbourne now, he actually said that the feeling in the studio while they were recording the album was was absolutely positive and totally re-energized. Uh, and you, you just have to agree. You, you listen to Peace in Our Time and No Place Like Home, and I guess this album was the first one they'd done in years where it didn't feel like they were restrained by what the record company wanted them to do they were just left to their own devices uh, and got on with it and this was the result it was incredible uh, the power that was that was coming through uh, listening to when we're not in Kansas uh, I, I do remember pausing the CD player after that it was like a tidal wave had, had hit me and it was if it was as if the band were saying 
we're sorry. You know, here's here's our apology. Uh, this is what this should have sounded like on the album before. And then I got to hear Ships, the the full band version of Ships, and and it was amazing. Um, I don't know. One recollection I have, I think of of this album was that it put Stuart back up there for me. Uh, I'll call it the Stuartometer, uh, and it, it was the gauge of of how into the song Stuart was, I guess. Uh, and this is a bit stupid, but I can rank it on how many ha or sha or when he gets right into the song and you you have that big ha from Stuart, you know, just as a chorus is breaking or a guitar riff. And that was wonderful because that just rekindled the feelings I had initially when I, when I heard big country. And it was one, it's one of the things I've always cherished. Uh, and it's one of the strongest memories I have of the Buffalo Skinners of, of hearing that. I still love it. I still love hearing Stuart do that and still sends chills down my spine. Uh, Anyway, it's lovely to speak to you guys again. I hope you can use this. Uh, stay well. Bye. Shut What are you working for? Often introduced by Stuart as what are we working for, which I always thought was interesting. In fact, I had to go back and double check to make sure what the actual <laughs> title is. Yeah, and uh, and uh, out of the 49 people who voted for songs, there was a remarkable mix of what are you working for and what are we working for. So <laughs> right. let's, do, let's do the public service announcement. It is you. What are you working for? It is what are you working for. Um, I almost think that we would have been a better title, even though it, it works better in the chorus to say you. But uh, you, you get a big we feeling for this song. This this is one of those songs that I think, for one thing, it, it's it's a little bit of relief to come in the third song. I mean, we've got just two brutally dark lyrically songs um, that that hit us over the head. And, and granted, it, you have to really dig deeply into them to get the full weight. But uh, this song is a little bit of relief, even though it's still about bleak subjects in a way. There, there's there's a certain more of a lightness about this song um and it's and it's not a relationship song which is a a little change but this song is interesting to me this this is one of those songs that i on this album it actually rates pretty highly with me very highly actually but but when i think about it sometimes i i don't necessarily think oh i want to go listen to what are you working for uh, occasionally i'll think that maybe but it's one of those songs that when i when i hear it i i just think man this is a great song i really love this song and and there are things about it that on the surface might be things that I wouldn't necessarily want from big country, which is interesting because the song kind of takes me back to Republican Party reptile a little bit. It's got some of those overtones to it. It's got a similar feel in a way. Um, but I think it's worlds better than that song. Uh, but this song to me, I think, is the first one on the album. And there are a number of them that really shows the influence that Neil Young was having on the band and Stewart especially. Mm. And I think this is one of the first songs in Big Country's catalog, too, where we get this 
style of lyric writing from Stewart that we're going to see on subsequent albums. And it's not necessarily my favorite style from him, but it, it can be interesting. And it, it, it really it, it hit me recently, like listening to this, that it really is a very similar lyrical structure to the song Rockin' in the Free World, which, of course, they recorded for this and which was big at the time. And that song and the band, I remember, was on record a lot during that time talking about how much they were loving Neil Young and how big of an influence he was on them at the time. And and you can hear it a lot on this album. But in Rockin' in the Free World, the lyrics of that are made up of all these little anecdotes. Uh it's not really one story that goes throughout the song. It's kind of these, this introduction of various characters to portray a bigger point of the song. And Stewart started to do that here with this song. And like, if you look at the lyrics, almost every line is about some other person or about, uh, a different, a different character. And each one is kind of underscoring this idea of corruption and, um, people who are hypocrites and the working man being screwed <laughs> and bad uh, crime happening on the streets and the poor. And, and, and it's very similar to the, the structure and the, the, the approach Neil Young took on rocking in the free world. So I, I really think that that influence really came through here. And we see that again on other songs in the future from Stewart, like the president slipped and fell is another good example of these same types of lyrics where like every line, every stanza of the lyric is about some other person, you know, an alien baby in a Russian wood um, and that kind of thing. It kind of takes you back to a man of the people saying, keep hope alive, which comes from rocking in the free world. So you get that sense that the Neil Young influence is really coming through here. Um, musically, as I said, it, it kind of takes me back a little bit to Republican party reptile and it's got almost a country ish feel to it as well. And, and that kind of influence um, but it's, it's, it's hard. It's, it's edgy. It's rock still, but it's got almost like a country rock type of feel to it. So on the surface, I think yeah, that's not necessarily what I'm looking for from big country. But yet for me, this, this song works beautifully as a big country song. Um, and it, it takes me back to a point I'm, I made on the roundtable discussion where I think that this album is a great example of big country changing. And changing their sound a little bit, but still retaining the things that make them big country. Because you get, you get a lot of Celtic tinges in this song. I mean, like the kind of, kind of the same thing I said about Alone, where you get this guitar, uh, line that's repeated throughout the song. You get that in What Are We Working For? get the same lead solo that's played at different points and it's got a really celtic feel um the breakdown section of this song i remember hearing that for the first time and and again you know a lot of moments when i heard these songs i just thought wow these songs just keep keep hitting the mark and that was like you know that breakdown this is classic big country So I love that so much. I love the drums in this song. There, there's a a thing that Simon does where I think it's during the verses where he'll like 
he, he hits a snare and it sounds like he hits a big floor tom as well and it just gives this huge giant uh feel to the song and it, it just really adds this big foundation to the song um there there are great solos in the song uh great guitar playing great bass lines from tony um it, it's not one of those songs lyrically that i'm going to really dissect too much because again it, i don't think this is nearly as i mean it, it's certainly serious and Stuart is serious about what he's what he's writing here and it's got a very everyman type of appeal to it but it's not nearly as layered as the ones that we've already talked about i mean the the idea of this song is is pretty straightforward it's it's a song that's going back to the working man and valuing valuing the working man it's a very blue collar song and that's another one of the reasons i said on the other other uh, last episode that i thought this could have been an interesting single in america possibly too because i could see people taking up that chorus and singing in it's a very relatable chorus and it's something that people i think like to sing those types of you know songs anti anti the man kind of songs and that's what this one is um and i saw some i saw some comments on the facebook page about people saying that this chorus wasn't very good and 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 uh commenting about that i i would disagree with that i think this is a great chorus i i love the chorus of this song i love the uh the direction that it kind of veers off in from the from the verses to this really i, I don't want to say pretty but it's got that kind of it's got a really nice melodic feel to that chorus and i love it i loved it from the second i heard it So I think this is this is Stewart and Big Country kind of going back to their Steeltown roots. I mean, it, it doesn't sound like anything from Steeltown, clearly, but it's it's that same thing, taking up the banner of the small man. And that's what I see this song as. And I think it's a great little um, it, it's a it's a relatively short song, too, from most of the songs on this album. And it's a great focused, very focused, uh, venomous piece of music. And go unions. Yeah, there you go. And I, I, it just works for me. I, I love this song. It, it's one of those songs that uh, now this one I, I do enjoy, you know, pumping the fist to this. And I don't feel ironic at all <laughs> as, to some, as I do with some of these other tunes. So I think this this came at a great point on the album, kind of breaking up the bleakness of some of these other lyrics, even even though, as I say, it is bleak, but it's a little more light. And um, I, I think this is a great a great little song it's it's an underrated song in my opinion so when you read that about tony i think he said stunning for this song i i felt good because i i feel like most people don't talk about this song very much um but i've always loved it so it was nice mm. to hear tony kind of confirm that he at least thought it was a great song too so yeah. uh so yeah the, not a whole lot to, to dissect with this one but i think it just works as a whole it's a, it's a great little tune it's a very interesting one in the way that i um when I did my first attempt at just throwing the rankings on a piece of paper and just saying, how do I roughly feel about these? This is one I ranked rather highly because I said, oh, yeah, that's the one with that excellent guitar theme that just runs through it. The one they play before every verse and yeah. after every chorus. And it has a lot of hooks in the song. Then I started delving into it 
and it's hung some spots on my list. <laughs> and uh, that's uh, it's an interesting thing because sinking a couple of spots literally means nothing when uh, when the songs are so close. It might just uh, as well have been others who rose a few spots. But I think uh, uh, just to start, I want to start with the quotes from Stuart. I actually have two quotes from Stuart about this song. Where one is from uh, a press release that I have several quotes from. Uh, Fox Record in the US. As we know, they went under just as uh, the album was about to be released there. But one thing they managed to do was to actually get out a press release. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we have this press release from Fox Records, which contains a lot of quotes from Stuart about the songs on the album. And uh, the one for this song is not very long, so this is clearly taken from a larger text and some of it dealt directly with, uh, with specific songs. And this one, he said, the song is about the plight of the subjugated working class. <laughs> it seems <laughs> an ambitious, uh, lots of ambitious words for a press release there. But uh, he also said something from stage in, in Germany later in 93, when he introduced a song like, when I was growing up, the circumstances that I grew up in was I was expected to know my place and keep my mouth shut and be a nice, good little boy and pay my taxes and work for someone else. Fuck to that. <laughs> and I think that sums it up much better. That's uh, like in layman terms, pretty much the same thing. Like, uh, like what you get when you do get into the lyrics, and uh, you you can basically take your pick of stories. You have the the example about the crooked man who built his crooked highway, and it is pretty much a low quality one too. It barely holds together with the goodwill of the Lord, which is one of the funniest lines I think on on, on the album. <laughs> Uh, and you have a second example about the wealthy family man who's involved in drug smuggling and all the casualties involved, which is teenage murder, presumably by way of the drugs, while the guy is stuffing his pocket with the profits and never getting his hands dirty. And then you have a third example after the first chorus with some sort of city official scandal that hit the news. So um, uh, I can just say it's... Um, I don't know if it's the style or just this song, but for me, this doesn't work. Uh, I don't like the, the spreading of examples. You never really get deep. It becomes uh, a lightweight caricature, whereas I know Stuart could have gone and written something weighty. And I think he does that on, on some songs later in the album, where he focuses on one thing. And here it's all spread out. So the verses are really random examples of injustices happening. And the main message is in the chorus, which he says all the time, the poor, the time, the rich go free, you keep the faith and they keep score. Is this what you were working for? So going back to the quote from the Fox record press release, the plight of the working classes, the meat is in the course, the verses give out some examples. It makes them feel a bit less important to me. So this is not my favorite lyric writing on the album. Uh, however, the music is gigantic. And uh, I mentioned that lead guitar theme. That is one of the the most memorable themes on the album. Yeah, when the is. album is over, that is one of the lines that you might remember. I mean, the only thing against this, it's early on the album, so if you ended with all the rest, then it's further away. But that line is still so strong that uh, it, it carries the song and it lifts the song. It uh, reminds me more of a vintage-style big country guitar theme than a lot of the other songs do. I love it. Uh, it's, it's one in many ways that... Uh, one of the hooks you hang this song on, I guess. So um, I, I don't have tons of stuff to say about the lyrics. I think it um, it doesn't work too much. I mean, it, it's fine. It's it's rock lyrics. When 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 the song is played live, you don't listen to lyrics anyway. And it's a good rocker. It's it, the musically, it's tremendous. 
But uh, the reason it sunk on my list was when I actually was disappointed when I dug a bit more into the lyric side. But the <laughs> music holds up and it's uh, tremendous. You know, any any band that has this amount of play and, and all the, the musical hooks it has going for it, it's classic big country in a way. And there's one thing in particular, my, my favorite bit, I almost I almost forgot. What I love about big country, what drew me in, is really the the moody songs or the ones that seem to signal a bit of doom, the something is coming feeling. I think one of the few times on this album we have a something is coming feeling is the intro to this song. Before the, oh, yeah. the drums and before just the... intro is great and it's got this like uh syncopated almost thing like a uh, effect on the guitar that's i can't yeah. describe what it is but it's it's so cool it's one of the few songs like this on the album that has a section like this and it's fantastic it really does a lot as far as painting the song in layers of atmospheres and moods so um it, it goes a bit away after they kick in but uh that intro is well worth mentioning, along with the guitar hook that comes in once that feeling goes away. Then you have something else that's great. So, again, musically, this is tremendous stuff. Yeah, I agree. And I agree, too, that it's lyrically, it's nothing that uh, is going to jump out at you from this for this album. But, uh, yeah, something about the whole thing. It just because I'm not even a huge fan of that lyric writing either. Like President Slipped and Fell is not a huge song for me at all. So I kind of surprised myself, but it, uh, how highly I rank this thing. But um, I, I have to say, I, I go back and listen to it so often and enjoy it so much that it warranted a number four for me. That's where I had it originally. Oh, yeah? Wow. <laughs> I, I, I did let it slip down to number eight. All right. Well, that, well that's a pretty good slide. but still. Yeah, but it's so close. It's, it, it almost means nothing, you know. Right. It but almost yeah. means nothing. So if we're going to look at the, the jury which is the the people out there. They rank this uh, sort of between us. They had this at number 6. Okay. That's not bad. So that's it's probably a correct place for the album. This is very interesting because this is a song that nobody had strong opinions on. It had one number 1 ranking and not a single number 12 ranking. Interesting. So uh so this is one that kind of has a decent showing but doesn't raise passions either way, I guess too much. Wow. Cool. All right. So that's that one. So now we go into a song that uh, at least is des- designed to raise passions, I guess. The the American <laughs> single, the one I love. Yes. The passions are flying high. This was the very first song I heard from the new album. And I've told this story before. I walked into a record store that blasted it out quite loudly, and it took me two seconds to recognize Big Country. And not just recognize Big Country, but this was a bolt of lightning. And uh, 
<laughs> I, I still remember it so vividly. It's kind of hard to talk about because it was quite uh, almost uh, as religious an experience as you can get from music. A lot of thoughts went through my head, like, first of all, this is new material. I don't have this. <laughs> like, I must have this. And then also, secondary, the power of the track and the energy and just knowing this is big country. This has got to be new big country. I had no idea new big country was coming. And um, the, just the energy, the guitar layers, the harmonies, the confidence of the performance. A, a lot of things just hit me at once. And then you have the words. They really spoke out to me too, so I cannot emphasize really enough how hard it all just hit me there that day. And I was picked up, I was lifted to a different plane of existence really while standing there in the record store. And I still carry this with me every time I hear this song. So it could probably have been a number of songs on this album, to be honest, that could have given me the same effect. But as it turned out, it was this one. And I don't think that's necessarily the primary reason why I love it so much, because I really love this song. Um, it is a great song in any case, but uh, of course memories like that will help. And those kind of memories don't come along very often. So that's uh, that's my opening uh, diatribe. It was <laughs> your first. The... You always remember your first. From this album, it was my first. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. It, uh, that That's a memory that uh, I carry with me. And um, it's uh, also... The second song on this album, where we actually have an early Bruce Watson demo with the music on it. Mm. So uh, this probably also stemmed from Bruce's demos. He put out a collection of demos in December 2000 called Demology, which contained at the time 11 untitled tracks. But some of them were very recognizable, despite the attempt of, uh, of obfuscating the entire thing. So track number seven on Demology is the instrumental demo to the one I love. And uh, it's played a lot slower than the album version, but the entire intro is basically replicated note by note from that demo. And the song structure is also in place.
the liner notes, uh, the music is credited to Stuart Adamson and Bruce Watson, but I think Bruce had a big hand in coming up with the basic structure of this song. So uh, that's uh, that's an interesting one. Uh, so many musical highlights, this song. One of the things I enjoyed from the roundtable was to hear the story about Simon's intro to this song and the difficulty the guys had coming in. That was <laughs> that actually cracked me up. And for some reason, I either didn't know or I forgot about that. But that's uh, that's true. But I, I went back and listened to it since, and I wouldn't have any idea when to come in either. <laughs> so <laughs> It's a weird part. It really is. It is weird. It's, it's really cool. But if you listen to it without needing to worry about where to come in, it's, it works better. <laughs> I think I <laughs> right. would be very frustrated and worried about that one. And they never did it live, and that must be the reason <laughs> they never added that part live. Oh, well, they could always have played the, the U.S. edit version because that part isn't there. Then you start directly on the do-do-do-do. That must have been uh, different, yes. Yeah. But this is a song that musically shifts gears all the time. It It builds... It explodes, it soars. Every time they get into the chorus, it's an explosion. I think that the main thing for me is the harmonies. Everything about this song is is a harmony, or like done twice. Everything is double-tracked or dual-tracked, or the, like the dual guitars over the one I love, when, when they burst into the chorus. Just dual, nice guitar, two-part guitars, and crisp layers of guitars underneath. And then um, the little section before the chorus where he says, what I do is what I do. I noticed when uh, listening in headphones, there's actually a doot-doot-doot-doot-doot underneath. Never mm. hear, you'd never hear it if you don't have the headphones on, I think, or maybe if you have better ears than me. But what I do is what I do. With all the doot-doot-doot-doot-doot, that was a new discovery for me this, this last couple yeah, of weeks. I, I, think those are, I think those are vocals. Like they are vocals, yeah. yeah. Ooh, 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 ooh. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna mention those. Yeah. Incredible stuff, and, and that I've listened to this album or known this album for twenty-three years. It was twenty-five years ago, as the, as the song says. No, it's uh, and the line I don't have the time that I used to. That line. What an incredible vocal harmony, those words. It's like two or three parts. And it blends so well, because I think those words are all sung by, by Stuart. He, he harmonizes with himself there. So mm. the difference is, is uh, less than if it had been Tony. So it's super tight. But also the emotion that those words have, the delivery, it just gives me chills like nothing else on this album. That's really the hook of that song, not having the time. And we'll get into that in a short bit. But lines like the one I love is still in you. Great rock lines, but also a bit typical, especially for big country. So I, I don't have the time that I used to give it the usual big country bittersweetness. And that's one thing to keep in mind here, that there really are two big countries, or maybe even three. But if you think of two big countries where you have big country of the 80s and big country of the 90s which needs to to some degree be seen as two different type of bands even though a lot of things changed a lot of those things were definitely still there what this song is missing is a soaring guitar solo they could have made this a total barnstormer if they had a solo part but instead of that after the second chorus they take it way down calm it start building again 
And there are lots of nice guitars in those uh, parts. There's Harmony Twin guitars again. And they move closer and closer to the sweet spot and they explode into the chorus again. There's a lot going on and the song climaxes again. It never is a straight line. This song has build of emotion and uh, a lot of stuff invested in it musically. And of course, this is underpinning the, the words of the song. I just want to say this song to me, this is by far the strongest melody of any song on the album. I mean, other songs may have more poetic and even better lyrics or more blistering guitar solos, but... To me, this is the strongest pure melody. Uh, even the best harmony guitars that play along that melody and the best harmony vocals, possibly the best singing, but that is a tough one. There's a lot of good singing on this on this album. But also the energy of the song that enhances all of those qualities. So this is the second of the three songs I mentioned that I believe are diary lyrics for, for Stuart. And he said in a live introduction, it's about screwing up a relationship. And if he says so, that's fine. I don't know if I quite see it like that. I see it more about growing apart than actually screwing it up. And if anything, the song is much more describing a frustration. And what it says is, I still love you. I still want to be with you. Nothing has changed there, but I don't have the time. I am being kept apart from you against my will by being trapped by commitments that I can't ignore. So basically, I see less of you than I want to. So that's not screwing up a relationship in my mind. You know, obviously he knows where this song came from. So uh, he can say that and be right. And I, I am wrong, but that's that's what I get from, from these words. So apart from the mentioned frustrations, the song is also strongly reassuring about his love. The one I love is still in you. That's a tremendously positive message. And uh, I haven't said anything yet about who he's addressing with this song. And you know, he did say screwing up a relationship but what type of relationship and you can take given some of the other songs on this album it's easy to think of sandra adamson or a wife or a loved one it could go deeper than that and it's curious that there is a certain vagueness to some of these lyrics that suggests all kinds of things going on under the surface and it could just as well be about a man who is wrestling with his religious beliefs and his spirituality in this case he still feel the love and desire to maintain his beliefs but perhaps feel guilty that he's not succeeding in keeping up. He's not going to church, he's lost a bit touch, though no active intent of his own. Because you have lines like, I can be your miracle man and teach me how to pray. So that ties more into that. So it could be either thing. Uh, the one thing that seemed to support more of the wife angle, if you think of the grind of playing in a band, there can be extensive travel and separation, and you have the words in the song you can leave me out but what i do is what i do <laughs> so he can't deny the part of him that writes songs and go out performing have to go out and perform these songs to other people and a romantic partner may grow to resent that distance and the work that leads to the separation but like he says what i do is what i do so um it's uh, that that's the frustration part of the song and also he tries to convince himself not too convincingly, perhaps, that perhaps he has got to live it all in a single day or he can be the miracle man that presumably he was 25 years ago. So this guy wants his cake and it doesn't sound like he's going to give up anything to get it. But uh, before we get too far, 
with the personal aspects, and this will be my, my my last bit here before I allow you to say a few words. Uh, there there could be a wider context where everything today is such a go 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 keep moving attitude, work hard, stay busy, and a careers and jobs and making money mentality that keeps you away from home, and keeps you away from loved ones and the things you want to do, even though you do, that's not really what you choose. It's just how it uh, turns out, and I guess that's a feeling that a lot of us can. Uh, can recognize and uh, I certainly have touched on that sometimes over the past year especially when things get very busy and it's easy to get sucked into the grind and if you don't remember to jump off that train now and then it will eat you whole so I think this song is is more about that but it, it ties into a very personal place so if I'm going to place this sort of on the relationship chart I would say this is an early one because here our separation is pointed to but this seems to come first, and then you have other songs and the uh, seven waves there and alone at the end when the separation and uh, the split has actually happened. So it's an interesting one. Yeah, definitely it is. Um, yeah, so so much to say about this song. Uh, I remember the first time I heard it on the album, I thought this should have been the single. And I, I know we're going about singles again and kind of meaningless <laughs> at this point, but I just remember hearing that. And then I was really happy that it was the single in America. They played play, played it a lot. Um, mm-hmm. I, I remember hearing it on the radio quite a bit, and they played the single version, um, the remastered version or whatever. Um, I remember one day I called the radio station to request it because I wanted to get behind my favorite band and make it seem like there was a demand for this song, you know. So I called him up to request the song, and I talked to the DJ, and I said, could you please play that new big country song, the one I love? And he said, oh, yeah, he said that, yeah, that new big country song. He said, I was surprised they have something new out. And I said, yeah, the album's great, et cetera, et cetera. He said, well, yeah, the, the new song I don't think is nearly as good as a lot of their other stuff. And I thought, ah, <laughs> one of those. Yeah, he said it's not as good as their their early stuff. And I thought, oh, you idiot. You know, and, and the, the song, I don't know what the actually ranked on the charts, but it certainly didn't crack the top 40 in America. Um, they did do a live version on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno, which was interesting. Grammy-nominated band from my mom's hometown of Scotland. They're making their debut right here in The Tonight Show tonight, performing a song from the new CD. Please welcome Big Country. But, um, yeah, th- this is this is a great song. I think it stands out. I think in Alan Glenn's book, he said something like, um, whoever did not choose this to be the first single in the UK who clearly was having a very bad day is what he said, <laughs> which is interesting. But, um, okay. So forget the single talk. Let's just talk about the song. Um, stood out to me immediately as being one of my favorites, one of the standouts on the album. And yet over the years, funnily enough, it's kind of fallen a little bit for me. Um, I, I still love it. I think it's a great song, but I, I don't know if, um, I don't know if maybe some of the live versions have clouded it a little bit, which is not fair in any way. But interestingly enough, I think this is one of those songs that, that did not work live um, for me. And I think one of the main reasons it never worked live is that on the studio version, Stewart sings the chorus in a very high register. And yes. it, it works perfectly for the, for the song because it really gives this he's singing in full voice and it gives the song this power and intimacy that that really is what the chorus needs and befits that chorus. And when they did this live, he always sang it in a lower register and Tony would sing that high part, but he would sing that high part in kind of a falsetto voice. And 
to me that just never worked live. I don't I don't know. It's like as soon as they you can see it on the on the Jay Leno performance. It's like as soon as they go into the chorus, it's almost like a little deflation of the song. For me, it's odd that I just don't think that song ever really worked very well live. But, but we're talking about the studio version. So on the studio version, it certainly works great. Um, the chorus to me always had a little bit of a king of emotion type of vibe in a way. It's 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 better than Ooh, that. That's not good, is it? <laughs> well, it, it's it's just like that. And then you got this similar type of phrasing for the chorus for the one I love. Like it's. That's a very similar rhythmic feel. <laughs> I can hear that, but I, I would never even put those two together. You know, yeah. at, at, at best, it's a King of Emotion on Viagra. <laughs> yeah, it could be. I mean, it, it, the song doesn't sound like King of Emotion, but that just that chorus always struck me as the same kind of rhythmic approach. And uh, and it sounds like big country. But yeah, as you said, uh, the uh, the song is so layered. I mean, it's and this is actually a really good example of some of that light and shade that maybe we've talked about is missing from the album as a whole, which, which to me isn't a problem because I, I don't, I don't mind having one album in the catalog that just goes full tilt all the time. But this, this is a bit of a, a bit of a break from that. It's still a, it's still a heavy song. It's still a powerful song, but it's, it's certainly not a distorted guitars blazing type of tune. This is the one song on side A, if you will, that is that kind of light and shade. Actually side B, I would say have three. Side yeah. B is much more varied than side A. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And this, this is, yeah, and this is one of those songs. Um, the guitar, the guitar sounds throughout this are just beautiful, big country sounds. I mean, so interesting. So, so many interesting lines that are layered over top of each other. Um, I think one of the things too, though, that I, that I don't love necessarily about the song is that guitar part that often repeats throughout it it kind of starts in the beginning leading into the first chorus and then they repeat it at different parts throughout the song kind of like we've seen in these other tunes where we've got a guitar line that repeats um it's a little problematic because for one thing it makes the song i think a little bit too long and i think unless unless those guitar lines are really stand out great melodies like they were in uh what are you working for i think i think they have a danger of dragging the song down a little bit and i kind of get that from this song and i'm talking about that i'm talking about that part and that's kind of done i think a little too often in this song whenever it appears i just kind of tune out a little bit um that that's really the only like weak spot for me um i i love that breakdown that you were mentioning i when i heard that again for the first time um again it was one of those chill inducing moments i think i got them for the first four songs and probably continuing um and this was certainly a big one because uh, again that middle breakdown section that's classic big country i mean you've got these great little lead mm. parts and they're all stacked on top of each other in the u.s um single mix you can hear the mandolin brought out even more there's oh, like yeah. mandolin in the song and that's a, it's a great uh just a great texture to the tune um so that's think, a, it, it's a fucking great piece it is and, yeah. I, and I'll, I'll, I'll admit that never worked as well live as it did in the studio because there are so many layers 
and you have to pick and choose and obviously you have two guitars and bass and that's what you have to work with you're not yeah. going to get the mandolin you're not going to get the dual lead guitar things that are going on in the background over the riffs so uh, i'm not going to say it was a letdown you know you expect that you don't expect them to replicate an album but on the album holy smokes <laughs> i know it's it's so beautiful and it's interesting if you look at their, their performance of this on the tonight show it seems like um because live when they do that like bruce is playing a distorted part and it seems like either he's a little late or someone's a little late in getting that distorted sound because if you watch that performance of the tonight show it's like he starts playing his line and you can't hear what he you can't hear his guitar for a second and then it comes in i've always noticed that if you don't if you don't know what i'm talking about <laughs> go back and watch that clip and you'll hear it it's like he starts playing a couple notes and and you're having flashbacks to that tube performance where his amplifier was unplugged <laughs> because you, you don't hear any sound and then suddenly it comes in. And, it's uh, Big Country's eternal Spinal Tap moment. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty funny, but um, yeah, it, it's it's a great part. Um, musically, the the whole album, I mean, the whole song is is fantastic. Um, li lyrically, yeah, it's I I never considered it from a religious perspective, but that's interesting. Um, for me, I always considered it as as kind of face value. It was another relationship song. And this one always struck me as a little bit more of a there, there's a little hope in this version, which is interesting coming from Alone and Seven Waves. It's, it certainly doesn't fit uh, as far as the, the placing of the songs, if you're going to look at the whole story. But yeah, that's it. That, that's the thing that kind of mixes it up a bit. Yeah. You start with the end. Yeah, it does. And yeah, and this is kind of like the beginning portion where He's kind of pleading with the woman, you know, you're still the one I love. You're still the one I care about. We can make this work. It's kind of got that we can make this work vibe to it. Like, look at all the history that we have together. Um, things have changed. Things haven't worked out the, lately the way we've wanted, but we have this this history together. You're still the one I love, the one I want. And so there's a little more hope in this song where in the others, there's, you know, nothing even remotely hopeful. Um, I will say the only other knock I would have against this song is the title. Because when I when I first saw the title of the track listing, I thought, "What what is Big Country covering REM?" And and that song, the one I love by REM, I, I don't know what it was in the UK or in Europe, but over here it was so huge. I mean, it was played all the time to the point of being just like for me anyway, just incredibly annoying. But <laughs> that song was played all the time, and and it was one of those songs where the title. As soon as you heard that title, it immediately took you to that song. It's kind of it's, it's not quite as bad as uh, Kiss doing a song called My Way, <laughs> but <laughs> which they did do. And no, it wasn't the Frank Sinatra version. But it, it was one of those songs that as soon as I saw the title, I immediately thought of another song. And that's not always a good thing. Um, but anyway, that that's a minor quibble. It, I'd, I'd much rather hear this, the one I love over the R.E.M. one any day of the week. But that that was maybe a knock against it from a you know, public perception type of thing. But yeah, I, I don't have a whole lot more to say about it. It's, it's just a, an amazing piece uh, of music for the most part. Again, I have some, there's some areas to it that I feel like maybe are unnecessarily make the song a little unnecessarily long. Um, like every big country single, it had to be edited quite a bit to be made into a single format it seems, but, um, yeah, it, the lyrics aren't quite as heavy as some of the others, uh, but they're still really interesting to interesting lyrics. Um, maybe not quite as poetic as some of the the earlier two or earlier few on the album, but um, certainly a standout track, which which won't necessarily be evident when I give you my ranking. And 
once again, it's it's one of those rankings that uh, I look at and I think, wow, really? That's where it is? I really like this song. But it's just it's where it ends up. It, it, it winds up at number seven for me. Okay. So at one point in time, it was uh, significantly higher. Is that what you said? I'd say that it, if you would have asked me, like, within the first year that it came out, I might have given it, like, number three three or something you know it, it's 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 fallen a little over the years i can't quite explain why but it has so do you think this has fallen or others uh, became stronger for you um i i get more of a sense that this one has fallen i do i okay i, I can't quite explain why but uh for some reason it has I, I still think it's a great song but i noticed more things about it that uh I don't like quite as much as I thought I did. I guess yeah, I sure. And I don't mean to drill you on this, but I'm I'm actually just interested because uh, this is one of those albums that I never really ranked for some reason because it seemed so pointless. Even Steel Time I've kind of ranked in my head, but this one I hadn't. <laughs> but, th- but this is still one of my top three. This is one of the three that is my favorite song. And out of those, this is my number two. Oh, nice. All right. Cool. Then we go to the People's Jury, and the one I love for them is sort of straight in the middle at number seven. Ah. The, inter- the interesting thing for this one is it has zero number ones. It's one of the three songs that didn't get a single number one vote. And the other two are number 11 and 12, so it's interesting that number seven got that. It also got five number 12s. So we have some people who significantly votes this down, but also a lot of mid-votes, plus uh, these votes are all over the place anyway, so it's hard to understand how that works. Wow, wow. But it's a seven for the most people, so they agree with you. Cool. Totally. Cool people, thank you. Clearly, I'm totally off. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, podcast people. This is John Lewis from Sacramento, California. I'll always remember where I was when I heard about Buffalo Skinners. I was living in Portland, Oregon. On March 25th, 1993, at 5.34 in the morning, a loud bang woke me up, and the ground started to shake violently. Fortunately for Portland, a city in the shadow of two volcanoes, this was just an earthquake, but a pretty big one. Mere minutes after the ground stopped shaking, my phone rang. I figured it was my boss telling me that he'd be late for the carpool or something. It was my friend Mike calling me from Ireland, He didn't much care about the earthquake, but he did tell me that Big Country had a new album called Buffalo Skinners. We agreed it was a weird name. Mike, by the way, would see Big Country twice while they toured the States for this album, and neglect to let me know about the shows until after the fact. Thanks, dude. It took about two weeks, but the now-closed Ozone Records didn't let me down. Neither did the album. Alone, the one I love, and the new version of We're Not in Kansas were standouts. I even remember hearing the one I love on the radio. Granted, it was at two in the morning on what was then known as an alternative station, but it was still something that wasn't in a big country. On the other hand, I couldn't get into Selling of America or Chester's Farm, and I still can't get into those two songs. Uh, Pink Marshmallow Moon was downright annoying. I couldn't get past the surfer queen. Uh, Despite how Buffalo Skinner's was and is, it hasn't been in the regular rotation since it was new. For reasons I can't explain, I just don't reach for it much these days. Still, when I do listen to it, I am transported back to 1993, to that earthquake, and to a time when I was trying to establish some kind of career post-college. A new big country album couldn't have come at a better time for me. Nowadays, I actually like Pink Marshmallow Moon. I like the kind of surreal atmosphere that it creates, and I 
think that it's really a very wistful and sad song. Thanks, everyone. Stay alive. All right, so that's part one of our deep dive of the Buffalo Skinners. Uh, as usual, we think that we're going to breeze through these things, and we don't. But <laughs> I guess that's why uh, we're you guys seem to like that. So hopefully you can you continue to. Sorry we're so long winded, but that's part one. We'll be back for part two. Probably be a part three, I would imagine. Uh, at this point, we, we'll see what happens, but it certainly looks that way. So let us know what you think. As always, find us on Facebook. Look for the Great Divide Podcast. Send us an email at bigcountrypodcast at gmail.com. Um, so check us out, and we will be back next time with more bloviating on the Buffalo Skinners. Oh, dear. I think we will. Can't say that. <laughs> yes, yes, we will. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well done. I think we got it. It will be out uh, tomorrow. <laughs> Let's not go crazy. No. <laughs> I didn't mean it. I don't Most know why I said it. I'm madness. Post, I know. Uh, deep dive madness. <laughs> blah blah. Fare thee well, my fairy fay. Blah blah. Fare thee well, my fairy fay. Blah blah. Hold on. I've been attacked. I told you. <laughs> okay. Hold on. I think you got to step out for a little bit, okay? You want me to blow something up, so you're going to listen to me doing that. <laughs> That's cool. Why did you do that? Oh, I'm going to pass out. <laughs> so your technique... It's long blows. Oh, yes, it's not, <laughs> not a good thing when I got to talk about this song. You can go straight into euphoria. It's, it's a giant hammer. Giant hammer. Okay. Okay, go pummel your brother with that. The Viking <laughs> hammer is coming down. <laughs> go on now. Shut the door, please. <laughs> just on just on schedule completely on schedule <laughs> all right where was i um okay <laughs>